Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Hey guys, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying the Everytown podcast, then remember, you can head over to our Scary Mysteries channel on YouTube, where you can see a completed video that goes along with this podcast if you'd like to watch it there as well. We also have other videos over there every single week that you guys might enjoy. And also, check out our Patreon page for even crazier videos that we can't show on YouTube. Every town has a dark side. Today we head to Hobart, which is in Lake County, Indiana, where we learn about Kelly Cochran, the serial killer who murdered her husband and lover. It's certainly flattering 
for Indiana native Kelly Cochran to be deemed a certified man magnet. After all, she could snag the man she fancied at her whim, even when she was already Mrs. Jason Cochran. Kelly found a lover in her co-worker, Christopher Regan, but three's a crowd, and things soon became complicated, turning Kelly into a serial killer. She said, I've had two men die in my arms in two years. Together with Jason in 2014, she killed her lover, Chris, and in 2016, Kelly then killed her husband for revenge. In the end, it looks like she's left alone and will rot in jail for life. Hi, I'm Andrew Fitzgerald, and this week's Everytown podcast will bring you to Michigan's Upper Peninsula in Indiana's Lake County, where two distinct gruesome murders were uncovered in 2014 and 2016. And the common denominator in both is a woman named Kelly Cochran, who is poised to become one of America's most notorious female serial killers for killing not only her husband and lover, but allegedly nine other individuals as well. Let's now get to know this diabolical woman. In hindsight, the murder of Chris Regan in 2014 by Kelly and Jason was hatched 12 years earlier, long before Kelly met her future co-worker with whom she had an illicit affair that ended tragically. In 2002, Kelly and Jason had gotten married and made a strange vow that went beyond, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. On their wedding night, the two created a pact made in blood to kill off anyone involved in their extramarital affairs. As demented as it may have sounded, the pact undoubtedly was something only two individuals with a profound bond could enter into. And yes, Kelly and Jason indeed go back a long way together. Kelly's parents, Tim and Melanie Gaboyan, said that the pair had grown up next door to each other in Merrillville, Indiana, less than an hour's drive from Chicago. It's a small town in Indiana's Rose Township, Lake County, with less than 35,000 residents as of 2019. Jason and Kelly both graduated from Merrillville High School and had attended Purdue University. After they got married in 2002, the couple then started their own business that provided swimming pool installations, repairs, and cleaning services. They were an odd couple, but they seemed to genuinely love one another. According to their friend, Jennifer Ammerman, Kelly was the conversation person. Jason didn't really say much unless we got him talking about something. 
It was Kelly's younger brother, Colton, who openly opposed Kelly and Jason's relationship. He said, I actually said before they got married, but after they got engaged, that they shouldn't get married. It just didn't fit. He was a laid-back guy. She was more of a go-getter. Tom Kaboyan affirmed that his daughter Kelly was always a take-charge person who ran the household. He and his wife Melanie noted the marital problems and verbal arguments between Kelly and Jason, but, but never knew of any physical fights. Running the business had become physically taxing for Jason, who after 10 years of doing manual labor, had developed back pain that prevented him from working. Tim, however, wasn't convinced the pain was debilitating as he claimed to have seen Jason lift heavy objects. But Jason often experienced excruciating pain and Kelly had assumed the task of earning money and paying the bills and just about everything else. Then in 2013, they decided that a change was necessary. So they moved to Caspian, a city in Iron River, Michigan, in part so that Jason could avail of a medical marijuana card that gave him legal access to the medicinal weed which helped alleviate his back pain. After settling down in the picturesque countryside of Michigan's Upper Peninsula, Kelly then landed a job at a factory that manufactured parts for naval ships and mining equipment. Luck opened the door for the 34-year-old married woman to earn a living for herself and her husband, and fate paved the way for Kelly to meet 53-year-old Chris Regan. From a professional relationship to friendship, their attachment to each other later escalated into a lethally combustible liaison. Chris Regan was an Air Force veteran who grew up in Detroit, Michigan. He left the service after 20 years and settled in Traverse City, Michigan, where he met and started dating Terry O'Donnell, an Iron River school teacher. They first crossed paths in the 1980s when Chris was stationed at K.I. Sawyer Air Force Base in nearby Marquette. Soon he moved to Iron River himself to be near Terry and take advantage of its access to the great outdoors. According to Terry, she and Chris started dating exclusively and said, We had planned a future together. We were planning on living together and moving into another area. Terry sang high praises for Chris as a wonderful person who loved life. He enjoyed hiking and the outdoors as he was energetic and always wanted to do something new and learn more. Seeking to improve himself continually, Chris even went back to college so he could be a better manager at his job. But he also had his domesticated side. Terry shared, he also enjoyed being at home and preparing a fancy dinner. He loved to sit and just converse with you. He had these beautiful blue eyes that would just make you melt. 
He looked at you like you were the only person that mattered. He made you feel like you were on a pedestal all the time. It was an amazing feeling. But Chris was a womanizer who engaged in flings when Terry was away, and that led to their split up. Yet, they remained friends, talking and sending messages to each other regularly. Chris decided to stay in Iron River and applied for a job at a local company where he then met Kelly Cochran, described by Terry as a friendly young woman who apparently liked to swing both ways. Chris and Kelly hit it off despite the 20-year age gap. They had a lot in common, both were transplants to the Upper Peninsula, and both were outgoing and sociable. They often took breaks together, and their co-workers noticed their rapport and friendship at work, which kept nasty tongues wagging. But according to Terry, Chris wasn't dating Kelly. I think Chris and Kelly hooked up for sex, and that was it. He never went anywhere with her. He was never seen in public with her. Probably because Kelly was a married woman, they spent time secretly at Chris's apartment, so their tryst would just be known between the two of them. He rented a small apartment owned by Terry's parents on the second floor of their grocery store. Eventually, working at the plant took a toll on Chris's knees because he was on his feet all day, and Terry constantly reminded him about going to the doctor. It eventually resulted in a minor knee surgery. Thus, Chris decided to look for a job that wasn't so physically demanding, and he found one across the country in Asheville, North Carolina. On October 14, 2014, in the morning, Chris then texted Terry, and they were trying to patch things up. He made plans to celebrate his new job, wanted to spend Thanksgiving or Christmas that year together, but instead, a nightmare unfolded. Without Terry's knowledge, Kelly and Jason Cochran set out to put forth their sinister plan on one of Chris's last nights in Iron River. They aimed their target where Chris was the weakest, making him succumb to his carnal instincts. A first happened on that fateful night of October 14, 2014. Instead of Kelly coming over to Chris's apartment for their rendezvous, she instead invited him to her house in Caspian. Kelly called up Chris and told him to come over. Chris had stopped at a gas station to fill his tank on the way to his married lover's house and that surveillance video footage that was captured became the last known image of Chris alive. At the house that Kelly shared with her husband, Chris entered and Kelly was quick to begin seducing him. At the top of the staircase, on the way to the bedroom, while still embracing one another, Jason then stepped out of the shadows aimed his 22 caliber rifle at Chris's head and squeezed the trigger. (laughs) 
The bullet tore through his skull, and death came in an instant for the third party in the Cochran's marriage. What was more horrific was how Jason and Kelly disposed of Chris's body, and that was using an electric handsaw where Jason dismembered their murder victim in their basement. They cut Chris up and put him in plastic wrapping. Then they burned the plastic and the saw blade in a burn barrel and dumped that barrel into a mine pit. Then Jason drove Chris's car to the park and ride and he and his wife scattered Chris's mutilated body in the woods off Pentoga Trail in Crystal Falls Township. The gruesome death of Chris Regan was the fulfillment of Jason and Kelly's devilish honeymoon pact. Anyone involved in their extramarital affairs would die by their hands. Ten days after last talking with Chris Regan on October 14, 2014, his ex-girlfriend, Terry O'Donnell, became concerned that she never heard from him after that. Terry disclosed, I got really concerned and started asking people if they had seen him around. And one of the guys that he works with just assumed that he had left. He just didn't come back to work. Frantic now, and in a panic mode, she searched Chris's apartment, which he rented from her parents. It was in complete disarray, which Terry said was uncharacteristic of him. But how and where did Chris vanish to? He had just had a knee surgery, and he couldn't have wandered into the wilderness in his physical condition. Terry was able to locate Chris's car at the park and ride four miles east of town. Inside the car were his knee brace and water bottle. She then drove to the Iron River Police Department to report him as a missing person. Laura Frizzo was then the police chief of Iron River, and she asked Terry who Chris hung out with. That's when Kelly's name came up. And furthermore, while scrutinizing Chris's car, police found a key clue pointing straight to Kelly herself. On the front passenger seat was a small piece of paper with written directions to Kelly's house. My gut is telling me that we need to make contact with this Kelly Cochran, said police chief Frizzo. Immediately, Michigan State Police converged at the house Kelly shared with her husband, Jason. At first, the man of the house denied Kelly was at home when police asked for her. And Jason also said Kelly hadn't done anything wrong. Eventually, Kelly came down and faced the authorities at the door. While she was described by the police as friendly, outgoing, not the least bit nervous, Jason was emotionless and stood off to the side. During the questioning, Kelly said that she hadn't seen Chris for a couple of days and she had no idea where he could be. But at that point, 
Chris had been gone for more than two weeks already, so suspicions were already raised. Then Kelly admitted that she and Jason had a romantic relationship going on, but she didn't go into the details on that. Cops asked the Cochran couple to come down to the station for an interview. They headed over there. Jason tried to divert his conversation by talking about his back injury, as if trying to change directions on what the focus was, so that maybe they wouldn't look at him as a possible suspect. But at one point, he did show how upset he was with Kelly and her extramarital affairs, not just with Chris, but with other men as well. Then it was Kelly's turn for the interview, and she admitted she loved Chris, but that she and Jason were in an open marriage and he was fine with it. She then went on to describe in graphic detail the animal passion in her secret love life. And she recalled the last time that she and Chris had sex was in the living room. Kelly also claimed Chris didn't come over to her house for dinner, even though police had found the directions to her house in his car. Her phone records and the communication with Chris Regan also indicated that she wasn't at his apartment at that time. At the end of the interview, there was no evidence connecting Kelly and Jason to Chris's disappearance. However, Chief Frizzo thought the Cochrans killed Chris and wondered, could there be hidden clues still lurking in the Caspian house where they had once lived? In March of 2015, police searched the Cochran's home but didn't find a body nor any evidence. What they did find was a rough draft of a book written by Jason in which he talked about going on killing sprees and seeking revenge against someone, a person who was very similar to Chris Regan. Shortly after that, the Cochran's hardly left town, leaving almost everything behind returned to Indiana, and moved to the town of Hobart. Jason and Kelly were able to return to Indiana, scot-free since police didn't have solid proof to make a murder charge stick. Yet, police chief Frizzo still believed that both of them had a motive for murdering Chris. So she relentlessly pursued the case and did further investigations of the Cochran's abandoned Caspian home And then she thought that they'd hit the jackpot. You could see some patterns on the ceiling above the door where you entered the front of the house, identical to what it would look like if someone assaulted someone with a weapon. And the spray-off hit onto the ceiling. We also found a loaded twenty-two under the TV in the living room, said Chief Frizzo. But unfortunately, it was impossible to determine if the weapon was used to kill Chris as no body was ever found. When Chief Frizzo was stretched to her limit, retired Michigan State Police Sergeant Michael Niger volunteered his help in what he found would shift the investigation from a missing person into a murder case. He did a fresh investigation of Chris Regan's car and found a lot of fibers, a lot of hair, stocking cap, and some leaves being seen trapped in the trunk lid, which could potentially lead them to where Chris's body was disposed of. 
Moreover, Sergeant Niger and Chief Frizzo found that the GPS device in Chris's car proved he was at Kelly Cochran's house the day that he went missing. They found something even more incriminating in Kelly's digital footprint. Sergeant Niger said, sometimes people, when they are going to commit a crime, they will go and search stuff on Google, like how to dispose of a body. The evidence I found on Kelly's computer were Google images, satellite imagery of the Caspian Pit. The Caspian Pit is an abandoned mine pit outside of town filled with deep and murky waters. Divers didn't find Chris there, but they did find a burn barrel. The Cochrans had a burn pit in their backyard, and that burn barrel was missing. But absence of DNA on the found barrel couldn't prove it was owned by the Cochran couple. And so, the case grew cold. Now with Kelly and Jason in Indiana, would authorities ever find the answer to Chris's murder case in Michigan? Sixteen months later, on February 20th, 2016, Kelly Cochran made a frantic 911 call in Lake County. 911, what is your emergency? He's breathing barely. I don't know what's wrong. He's throwing up. He's sweating. He, of course, referred to her husband, Jason. When paramedics arrived, Jason was dead and his cheating widow was getting in their way, acting distraught and getting hysterical. Kelly claimed Jason overdosed on heroin due to his deep depression, and toxicology results later confirmed he was given three times the lethal dose. Jason had reportedly began using heroin to battle his chronic back pain. The findings of the Hobart medical examiner confirmed that Jason had been taking copious amounts of heroin, but It also showed that he had died from asphyxiation from strangulation. His manner of death was homicide, Lake County Prosecutor Nadia Wardip confirmed. Iron River Police Chief Frizzo believed Kelly killed Jason because he was probably a liability for her at that point. She was concerned that Jason would end up spilling the beans and she would get into trouble herself. Police repeatedly interviewed Kelly and thought she was about to crack. But in late April of 2016, she actually texted detectives that she was on the West Coast living on the lam. Now a suspect in two murders, Kelly faced warrants for her arrest. Detectives eventually tracked her to her cousin's home in Kentucky and then arrested her on April 28, 2016. In the interrogation room, she said that she'd make a deal to talk in exchange for immunity from prosecution, but no way would cops ever cut a deal like that, so Kelly shut her mouth. Then-detective Jeremy Ogden 
set an almost unbelievable trap by asking Jason's friends to make up a story that would freak Kelly out. The friend called up Kelly, telling her that he received a letter from Jason in the mail containing a note that said, If something should happen to me, please mail this letter to the Iron River Police Department. And Kelly fell for it. She said, Please don't mail it while breaking down. This paved the way for hundreds of hours of interviews, and Kelly finally came clean about what happened to Jason. She had injected him up with a large dose of heroin to subdue him a little bit, and then she covered his nose and mouth with her hands and suffocated him. She also detailed that Jason, furious about her ongoing affair with Chris, forced her to lure her lover over for sex at their home on October 14, 2014, and how he was killed, dismembered, and his mutilated body scattered in the woods. She told detectives her affair with Chris was the only good thing I had in my life. After his murder, she blamed Jason and decided to murder him. It was revenge, I even the score, Kelly boldly said. Now, the confession was complete. While detained behind bars, Kelly told police she wanted to give Chris a proper burial, so she took them on a wild field trip back at the spot in the woods where Kelly remembered Chris's remains were dumped. In the field, police found Chris's glasses, and out in the open was Chris's skull with a big bullet hole in it. Forensic odontologist John Filippi compared the skull which was missing the lower jaw, with Chris's 2011 dental x-rays and found the tooth fillings that matched. The skull had a ballistics wound on the back left side with fractures leading to a missing left cheekbone. In early 2017, Kelly Cochran then went on trial for being an accomplice in the killing of Chris Regan. She was found guilty on five counts, including first-degree murder, and was sentenced to life in prison. Rather than go through a second trial for the murder of her husband, she just pleaded guilty in April of 2018 and was sentenced to an additional 65 years in jail. If you think this is the end of Kelly Cochran, well, think again. While incarcerated, she began making claims that she and her late husband may have had committed nine other murders. In court filings, Iron County prosecuting attorney Melissa Powell said Kelly claimed responsibility for the deaths of other individuals which, if true, makes her a serial killer. So far, though, no charges have been filed against Kelly for these alleged murders. However, if found guilty... Justice will continue to haunt her in her next lifetime. So that's it for this week's episode of Everytown. Tune in next week for another one filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories. 
because who knows, maybe your town will be next. <laughs>